does managing money have to do with managing a tricky relationship or business vision? Well, it turns out that your mindset has a lot to do with managing your personal goals. On the show today is Diane Jung, a certified coach with the Life Coach School. She'll share why mentality is just as important as financial knowledge when it comes to your personal finances. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, be sure to subscribe and consider leaving us a review and sharing it with your friends. Welcome to another episode of In Your Best Interest, your personal finance podcast. I'm your host, Philip Müller, and with me today is Diane. Diane helps female professionals organize their time, lives, and money. She's also the co-founder and CEO of Shellify.co, a new planet-friendly packaging brand serving small businesses in Asia. Before all this, Diane was with Alibaba Group for over a decade, raising funds for the group, including its US and Hong Kong IPOs. In her free time, she enjoys having existential conversations with her kids, including talking to her kids about personal finances. We'll cover that later. Welcome to the show, Diane. Thanks for having me. Yes, really, really exciting. Um, you know, uh, for, for all the listeners, uh, maybe some of you know our um, deputy chief investment officer and Hong Kong country manager at Stashaway. Uh, her name is Stephanie. She introduced us to Diane and uh, she's a good friends with her. So it's going to be a very exciting talk today. Maybe you can give us a little bit of a background, like, uh, you know, what was life growing up? Where did you grow up? and kind of what maybe your first kind of money experiences were when it comes to personal finances. I'm born and raised in Hong Kong. I went to UK boarding school and I got my uh, college and master degrees in the United States. Um, my parents were in education. My mom was an art teacher for secondary schools and my dad works uh, for education department as a school inspector. Um, so growing up, I have absolutely zero exposure to entrepreneurship nor investing. I was taught the best way to make money is to get good grades, get into good university, become some sort of professional, um, and then work hard in a big established company until you retire. Um, my parents have been super intentional about making sure I don't spend time worrying about my finances until after college. Um, so that I would spend 100% of my time focused on um, at my education and schoolwork. Um, and I remember uh, I was taught making money off people, it's uh, bad. Uh, I remember in primary school, my friend sold me this very nice Japanese cartoon pen. Um, uh, my mom found out about it and then called my friend's mom. And then my friend basically was told off not to ever do that again. Um, so yeah, so pretty, it's a, it's a pretty controlled um, exposure to money. I know we mentioned in your, um, in your intro already a little bit that um, at some point you went to Alibaba, but before Alibaba, we, I know, and maybe the listeners don't know yet, but you were in finance, right? There was, I think, a little bit of corporate finance, but also on more on the investment side of things, right? How did uh, that come really, to be? Yeah, not really investment, but like M&A acquisitions yeah. for a corporate, like just BC. So how did you, is that something you studied already in school or is this, so how did you fall into that finance world? 
So, um, I, um, I wanted to, I always wanted to do like save the world, like do something meaningful, make an impact in the world. So, um, I actually did my degrees in environmental engineering and sciences. Um, and after I graduated, I actually, uh, became an engineering consultant in San Francisco Bay Area. Um, but then after two years in the job, I realized I actually don't enjoy so much the day-to-day of being an engineer. Like meaning, we, I remember I was like designing the water f- filtration plant in Santa Clara or something. And then mo- like the, the planning would be on 20 years strategic planning. Um, and then most of your time are like really fleshing out every nitty gritty detail of the water treatment plant. So it's very different from what I study, which is multidisciplinary, you know, like boom, 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 every semester is something different. Um, so it's like a little bit slower pace as I would imagine it. I was in my twenties, you know, like that wasn't what I was looking for when I was in my twenties. So I decided, it's, I, I guess it's just a decision. Like, let's go back to Hong Kong and see what it is. Um, what, what's there for me? When I come back to Hong Kong and then I'm like, okay, so what do I do now? And then when I look around, um, the, what majority of my peers do in Hong Kong is in the some form of financial industry related work. And I'm like, oh, I'm pretty analytical. So let's <laughs> sort this out. So really not very intentionally, um, but I know what I don't want um, and let's figure out. So that's how I got into finance. Yeah, well, so sometimes life presents you these opportunities by themselves, right? Over time, yeah. And then you get into the finance industry and what made you then go into the startup world, right? Uh, especially, um, I think um, I think we, we chatted about last year, uh, not last year, last time uh, before, before we were on the podcast, but I think you joined Alibaba pretty early, right? So probably 10 years ago almost, or more than 10 years ago? Yeah, beginning of 2011, before its US IPO, it was still doing the you know pre-IPO fundraising. Still pre-IPO fundraising. Um, yeah. What was the thinking behind going from finance now, you know, into a more startup consumer-driven company, right? Uh, yeah, well, at that time, um, Alibaba is actually already quite big, like the Taobao yeah. and all that. But it's a it's a private company, you know, like yeah. not many people uh, know about it. And you're right. Like I, I was working in a global bank before Alibaba and, you know, my, my parents, my friends are, just don't understand the decision. Um, and what what um, prompt me or like how, how I make the decision is that my thought process is like this. Um, I have a good feel like after working in, you know, a, a global bank in m and department, I have a pretty good feel what, what I like and don't like within the finance world. Um, and what I remember is I didn't like the hierarchy within a bank. I didn't like the, um, it's, it's um, the, the industry also doesn't resonate with me that much. It's, it's very regulated. You are doing a lot of things because of the regulation. 
too many stakeholders, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so a lot of time it's so I'm like, okay, so I, I kind of like the type of work, but like, can I get into more? interesting industry that resonate with myself. So, and then this Alibaba opportunity presence, I mean, it's internet, you know, Taobao shop, online shopping, you know, it's, it's like the fun stuff. Yeah. Exciting. So, well, exciting yeah. new stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. My friend was working in there, exactly the, the team that was hiring. So he was able to tell me, well, actually, you know, this are the type of, you know, investor we are dealing with. And they're like all like global world-class yeah. um, investor group. And these are the type of advisors on the deals that you'll be working with. So actually that gave me a lot of comfort after uh, learning more about the company and what they do. And how, you know, how advanced they were actually already at that point, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. In, in and I mean, it, it, it's like, no, yeah. I, I There are a lot of naysayers when I switch jobs. Um, and also I took a significant pay cut at the yeah. time to, yeah. to jump. Right, that's yeah. what you do when you when you join a startup, right? But there are other opportunities, right? So, you know, equity Porsche, equity stakes, um, stock options, right? That, yeah. you know, can make up for it if you're lucky, right? So it's still not guaranteed, but that's the part of the risk that you take, right? Yes. Um, so that you can have these, you know, extra benefits along the line. And obviously, I have to ask you, apparently they have this work culture of uh, 996, right? This is obviously, it, it, it all, almost like through Alibaba, this became even the word, right? This whole 996, because I think, uh, you know, Jack Ma, he, he, he said it before as well. And he, obviously he was a hard worker, right? So, and, and, and I think if you're in a startup, you have to put in a little bit, you have to put in your time, equity and sweat, because you also have equity in the company. So if, if everyone has some skin in the game, it obviously breeds that, culture right how did you feel or how did you experience that you you, you were there for 10 years plus right um how did you cope with it and you know how did you like it did you even think it was a bad thing at all yeah so that's interesting i should don't think that's the culture in alibaba <laughs> like my experience of the alibaba culture is um very um fast paced people are very strategic you ask the why a lot and why not a lot um people have fun a lot when doing a lot of hard work um so so that's what i experienced in the past decade and um and, but yeah you're totally right that it's very demanding especially in what i did um that it's fun fundraise transaction and you know IPO a lot of deadlines but, right yeah yes yeah, transactions they are you know like a hard deadline um, and there's so many parties and stick stakeholders and you are the owner who have to make sure everyone are aligned and move with that pace so yeah it's very demanding um, so I think how I manage it's all comes back to the to the mindset work. Um, so I think there are three things. The first thing is you need to know the why. You need to have a strong why. And my strong why is that, um, well, we're writing history here, you know, like building Alibaba, making sure it has all the funds it needs to grow into this thing that benefits so many people. And I'm the lucky few to happen to exist in this time and space 
who get to be part of all these. So that's that's one thing that I remind myself all the time, or like I truly believe in it, right? So that that's one thing that helps. And then I think the other is the um, the concept of this work life balance. Like our reality is very shaped by our language, right? And you hear work life balance a lot, as if work and life is two separate things, you know, ex- mutually exclusive. Yeah. Which I actually don't see it that way, because I think that's the wrong way to look at it. So, um, um, if you are doing something, you're dedicating your time and life to something you really want to work on that well that's your life so that's i think that's another set of mindset that i have um um that that helps and then the third part of it is the actual implementation right then i have two young kids you know um during the u.s ipo i actually was planning my wedding Right after, like the IP, we were listed in US in September and my wedding, it's in November. What's in November? So I was actually planning uh, throughout. Um, so I think the third thing, third layer is that just, you know, be aware of the perfectionist thinking or all of nothing thinking that might get into the way. So, so for for example, as a mom, it's okay to delegate. It's uh, like you don't have to be hundred percent in your kids' stuff, and maybe my work trip would look like my entire family sending me to off to the airport, and that's that journey, that dinner, or whatever. In in that, it's my family time. Like you, you got to be creative, and you know. Um, combine the activities together a lot um, and also um, my, my family actually actually knows all my co-worker like we're we're friends we like they're all family and friends and they yeah. know and that like opens up all the different opportunity right like your work dinner is you know can be your you know social dinner as well or can be like you can bring your family there. so it I think it's that all or nothing and just, you know, unbundling that with the concept that work and life has to be separate. And I, I think those thoughts help me a lot in managing. Yeah, that's. I think that's a huge concept. And thank you for sharing that, because I think, like you said, probably 95% of the population actually view wants to view it almost separately, right? Hey, I'm at work, I do work stuff, and then I have home stuff, right? And then it becomes very difficult, like you said, to balance it. I have to be 100% present here at that time only and then 100% present at work at all in my work hours, right? Versus, hey, yeah. having everything a little bit more fluid. And I think maybe COVID actually helped a little bit of that because now you're doing, you know, work, li- uh, work life at home. So maybe for some people, they, you know, it's, it's starting to be arranged a little bit more and, and interviewing that a little bit uh, more, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not saying it will work for everyone, but I, that serves me. Like being more yeah. fluid about that definition or actually just throw that definition away, then actually I remove one constraint from my life and I can yeah. be more flexible with how I plan my time. So Diane, if we switch gears and we move on to move on from Alibaba and we talked about a little bit in the in your bio that uh, you're also a life coach, right? Um, and I think 
that is something I would like to focus on a little bit. Uh, first of all, how did you become a life coach? Is it something you've been doing already while you were at Alibaba or where did you acquire those skills to, to actually offer life coaching? And then I'm going to ask a second question and we can go back to that afterwards. Can you also explain a little bit to the audience for those that don't know, right? What a life coach even does and when would it be appropriate for someone to seek out a life coach? Sure. Okay. So, um, the, I thought about going into life coaching during 2020 last year. Um, um, so I was going through, uh, a period where I was making a decision where when to leave my corporate job. Um, and during that period, I explored a lot, meaning I talked to entrepreneur friends uh, intentionally more um, about their experiences. I listened to so many podcasts. I, re I read a lot of books. Um, and then during that process, I stumbled upon this lady Uh, Brooke Castillo, uh, who runs the Life Coach School in Texas, U.S., um, that um, on making decisions, making imp important decisions in your life, and that there's so much wisdom there. And it was actually like her work is very helpful for me to make my own decision um, to, to leave such a, you know, good team and good job and wonderful company. Right. It's a it's a big decision. Um, and then I find that works so clear um, in and it applies to every problem in my life, basically, the the, the tools and the framework of life coaching um, that I decided to, you know, do the certification. And I'm it's a six month certification. And to be honest, to be a life coach um, is not a regulated industry. Right. It, it, you're not dying diagnosing people with disease or like you're not a doctor you're not a therapist so actually it's not regulated you don't need to be certified to perform as a life coach as long as you know the tools and you can deliver value to your clients that's how I um, stumble upon life coaching actually and what um, why I think it's so important, and I decided to double down, you know, let's do the life life coach uh, life coach certification and let's make it a, a living, is that um, it basically ties everything up for me in my life, um, my own mindset work when I was at Alibaba, and also the entrepreneur mindset I see when I was in Alibaba, and also the um, the spiritual religious stuff. I'm not religious, but if you look at all the major um, religion in the world, the um, the ultimate goal is also you know choose unconditional love for everyone, right? And actually, with the life coach life coaching tools and framework of thinking, that's the natural conclusion as well. So this is like something that ties everything for me. And, and there are like technical stuff that touches on, you know, productivity, setting goals and time management. So this is like one powerful uh, framework um, that I think it would help me personally, help me in my parenting and also in whatever I set out to do in my life.
Um, and your second question is about then what does a life coach ex- do exactly? The approach of coaching that I do is called causal coaching, which means um, I show my clients their minds, um, and so they realize the cause of their problems, and not just treating the symptoms over and over again and not getting results. So. Um, um, and in a session, what I would do is, um, is typically a 45 minute session online or in person, doesn't matter. And my most important job, um, is to create a virtual spiritual place so that the client can unload their mind and in return, receive an honest, uh, perspective. And this alone can change the client's life. So the analogy is, have you heard of uh, Mary Kondo, the mm-hmm. home organizer, yeah. right? That one, like her exactly. book, Fire. Yeah. So what Mary Kondo does is organizing the house. What I do is help client organize their brain because there's so many thoughts in your head every day. You're a human being with a, the most sophisticated brain in the world, right? Per day, you have about 60,000 thoughts in your head. Some of them would drag you down. Some of them would not. Some of them would serve your life. So the process of life coaching is, first of all, discover what are the stories about yourself, about your relationship, about money, about making money, about spending money, about having money, like each aspect of your life. And then with that awareness and the mindfulness, then you can, you know, maybe catch yourself when you're thinking those thoughts and then stop thinking those thoughts when you're thinking the thoughts that doesn't serve you. Um, Or you can go into the place of intentionality where before going into a situation, you decide how you want to feel, how you want to think and intentionally create the result that you want. So for example, specific example, Um, what we can do in the session is maybe like a client wants to lose weight and they might have, you know, already had, you know, professional personal trainer working on the exercises that's right for the body. Uh, They may have a nutritionist planning all the meals already, but the client might be finding it so hard to follow still. Or like after the program, the weight bounced back again. It's not sustainable. So what the life coach does in that situation is really to help the client realize all the thought pattern or even thought errors in the brain that's causing that result. So it could be something innocent like, oh, food is, you know, I'm Cantonese. Food is family. You know, food is celebration. It's his birthday. Of course, I'm going to eat to show, you know, love, you know, like all these thoughts. You might not realize it at all, but those are the causes of why you're overeating and like why you're not managing your urge in in your brain. So like stuff like that. And also, in I, I guess I can talk a little bit about personal finance as well. Like you might have a finance professional or or even investment professionals that 
are very technically sophisticated in all the instrument, you know, diversification. They are like CFA level three, whatever. But when they managed their own portfolio, they got spooked. Like, oh, the market is very volatile. Oh, it's a downtrend now. Should I like sell everything? And they went on selling everything or they didn't, you know, have the patience and the calm mind to really stick to the investment that they believe in. So, and and there are many reasons to that. And one of the biggest reason is that because you are a human being, you, your brain is made up of two parts. One is the prefrontal cortex, which is strategic, which is telling you, okay, long-term, you have to, you know, invest in this consistency, whatever. But also there's the cave men or cave woman part of it that try to keep you safe. That, that part of the brain that hasn't evolved with our technology and how people live right now, that are still telling you, oh, you know, it's, you know, the, the, the market dropped 30% today. Let's, you know, let's keep yourself safe and, you know, not take on, take on risk and then come back to the cave because there's a tiger out there. But the truth is, is 2021. And with all the his- historical evidence, the market goes up, right? Like value get created in the market. You know, it's on average, I know like the, the stat is what, like 8% per, per, per year uh, growth, right? That is not going to happen. Like if, if you, you have a investment, you just invest in the market, it's not going to happen that within, I don't know, like say, let's say your time frame of 10 years or 20 years, it, it will grow. It won't like become zero. Like, you know, so, so it's, it's um, about um, a life coach can help you uh, realize those thoughts. It could be the thoughts from your primitive brain or your social conditioning or things that um, concepts that you grew up with that doesn't serve you anymore. It might be like money beliefs your parents told you about that you bring with you, but that might in your way to your financial goals and that's a big one right that i always hear when i you know when i do financial planning sessions with clients right a lot of times that comes up right when i ask them hey because a lot of times i feel in asia as well is um there's a little part of investment but it's more like individual stocks a little bit of gambling mostly and then there's a lot of cash savings but not actually invested right it's a lot of cash so the savings rate is very very high always when you I, I lived in the U.S. for 12 years as well and worked there in finance and in wealth management. And there, it's not so much cash there. They like to, to take on debt a lot, right? And But they do invest in the U.S. Whereas when we, I came to Asia, it was always when I do financial planning, first session, and I'm like, oh, wow, like 90% of your net worth is in cash if we take out your primary residence, right? Because especially in Singapore, Hong Kong, primary residence it, it makes up a lot of part of your net worth, Right. Um, but then I always ask him, what about the cash? It's like, oh yeah, we're we're always saving, but, uh, you know, we're we're not investing for a variety of reasons, but a lot of times it comes also back to how you grew up. Right. And if your parents didn't invest, right. Or if your parents also just saved all the time, but not invested, that mindset is ingrained. And then that's, would be interesting to hear from your point of view, then how do you get that out? Right. How do you get people to, to invest, uh, you know, or how do you get them to overcome that? Yeah. So, um, 
the the process is the same for you know weight loss or money money um, growing money or growing business or you know working on a your relationship with your mother you know like it's the same process clear out like organizing the house empty your brain empty your brain what do you think about all these aspects empty it you might be surprised when you actually write it down your thoughts about your money or your money goals your how you how you think about spending how you think about investing and then um we work from there um and then um the second step is is then um then what do you want and it's so interesting like people always say oh yeah money is important you know that's like um, top three priority of my life, you know, like my family, uh, my wealth and my health, typically these three, right? But then when you ask them, so what is your number? They, they, they would mutter, mutter something. And it's so clear they don't, they don't have one. They haven't thought about it. Then if you don't have a goal, then how do you know which route to take, right? Um, so I, I think, the, and then, so the next stage is also like building the, developing the intentionality once you have the awareness of your beliefs and how it's creating your current result, then tap, then the second stage is tapping in, then where do you want to go? Yeah. No, so yeah, that, that's interesting. I think you're right. I think uh, the first, especially when I do financial planning with people, and they're all smart people, right? They're in tech companies. They're they have super good jobs, high incomes, um, busy though, right? Working a lot in their job, and so you know, and they know they save more than they spend, so that's great, right? But when you show them for the first time the number that it takes to retire. And to live off, right, that you need in order to not go back to work. And it's a bigger number than 99% of the people will think it is, right? It's a much bigger number than you think it is. Um, then it becomes real, right? I always tell them, hey, if you write these things down, if you write down your financial goals, your life goals, go with that as well, right? And you keep then track of like your net worth over time, right? It makes it real and you can, you know, you slowly see progress being made and i think that's super powerful I, I think for me that's always worked on the personal finance side with people is writing it down checking in with them right on a quarterly basis just so that because they're busy and i know you're busy but this is the number you still need to know and then they feel much more in control right because when they first come there they they have a number in their back of their mind they also know roughly what their net worth is they all don't know exactly until they see it in paper but then yeah. they feel so much more in control, like, oh, yeah, I should have looked at this before, right? Now it makes all yeah. sense. So yeah. that's always that. Yeah, so it, it goes a little bit hand in hand, right, on the personal finance coaching with the life coaching. So I think it's it's great, if, if you know, for you to go, yeah, then you go obviously a lot deeper into why why those uh, uh, minds, uh, you know, beliefs were actually established back in the days, right? Uh, where they come from, because they're not new, right? They're, they've been established over their whole life, right? From young, yeah. throughout their career, college, everything, right? Yeah, I think people are very in tune with how they want to spend money. Like, oh, I buy this and I feel good. You know, they're very like, um, they, they know that very clearly. But with, oh, how much money can I have? Or how much do I want to create? 
um, that that is something that people just, I don't know. It's like our education system, or like also like the belief system. Oh, talking about money too much is you know evil, or like yeah, you know that that it's, it's not yep. so dramatic, but it might be just little voice in your head that says, oh, you know, I got a good job. I don't need to you know spend time. Looking at that, you know, look look around. All these, you know, lawyers and investment bankers, they they make a good living. They they will do well. I would do well too. I just you know follow the path. But actually, if you are more intentional, you could you know there are more flexibility. Like, let's design the goal. Let's go there. Like you might be able to retire earlier than you thought if yeah. you if you're intentional. Oh, if, especially, or if you, if, you know, like we talked about this before, um, you know, finding the why in your job, right? Not everyone is able to do that, right? Or not very, no, hopefully they should maybe uh, come speak to you, right? But some people are not as passionate about their job. So it's a means to an end, right? And then, then especially then you need to really know that number to hit so that you're financially free at that point. And then you can do whatever you want. And maybe that's working at a nonprofit and taking an 80% pay cut, right? Uh, yeah. But then you can do that, right? But you have to, like, knowing knowing is the first step, right? Understanding. Yeah. And then you can develop that plan on how to get there. So yeah. that, that to me is always super important uh, when, when it comes to the personal finance side. Um, Diane, I know um, we have a little bit of time left, but uh, I, I do want to touch a little bit on the personal finance side a little bit more um, and more uh, when it comes to yourself. So uh, you have experience in in the financial industry then obviously um, you worked at a, at a um, tech startup which went ipo so you have also a, a lot of experience on that side of things how do you personally um develop uh, your personal finance strategy with your husband together i assume or as a family what does that look like roughly mm. so i keep it very simple and manageable um, I like it, it's very related to what I like doing. So I don't, what I don't like doing is, you know, f oh, I need to keep track of the quarterly results, you know, slice and dice and oh, justify why I'm in this investment. So what I do is actually, um, I follow what I believe in. I spend a lot of time understanding the management, how they think about the future. So I listen, like when I, research on the industry or a company, what I do is not to go read the quarterly stuff or, or like research reports or whatever. I actually go to the podcast of the management interview and to see if I align with their thinking and whether I do see the future that they are seeing. Um, so um, what I'm doing now is purely equities um, or stock and ETFs, mostly stock. I keep it about in my portfolio about 30, 30 different stocks or ETF. Um, it, I like equities because it's highly liquid and good growth. And these are like all these tech um, sector is something that I can believe in and I can see, you know, like 20, 30 years. That's the future. Um, I keep um, an Excel spreadsheet which I look at monthly. I don't look at it every day. Um, and when I want to diversify, which I actually did um, when I leave Alibaba, I should do some rotation. 
Um, I do it weekly, regardless of what the what the stock price is. So I, mm-hmm. I do like I re- keep it really simple. Like, okay, yeah. this is where I want to get to. Um, like, let let let's do it in a quarter. So divide it by the number of weeks. Then this is how much I have to sell each week on Tuesday night. I randomly yeah. picked it, um, and yeah. So that that's how I do stuff. And for most of the time, I actually don't check the up, up and downs a lot. And I can be peaceful and at ease um, because these are the companies with management that I I believe in. Yeah, so they're long long term investments, right? So you don't yeah. create them as you say, hey, oh, I I think they're only good for one year. You look at it; it's a five, ten year, twenty year play, maybe even. Yes. So most of my stuff is in investment. I keep very little cash. Yeah. Um, I like maybe oh, one, so one low, to right? two year. <laughs> yeah, one to two year expenses. Um, that's it. Yeah. No, and I think that's that's a that's a good way to think about it in years or in how many months uh, that you might need. Especially, you know, from from your side, you went from a, a daily, you know, monthly paid job to now entrepreneurship, right? So that's new for you as well. So uh, obviously, that that's a good thing if you want to do that. That you take, you know, one or two years at least of expenses, so that you know you can really try it out without having that money pressure uh, at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. That, that's a great, uh, well, thank you for sharing that on how you invest yourself. Um, any of, you know, biggest investing, uh, best investment you ever made, maybe worst investment you ever made that you could share with us? Um, worst ones. Let's talk about the worst ones. Worst I'm are the gonna... best, right? Because you learn from them. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's like the investment in external things to make myself feel happier. Those are the bad investment, I think. Like investment and time and energy. So it could be like in my 20s, investing way too much time in Lan Kui Fong. Like, <laughs> um, or like buying too much. When I was working in Central in, in banks, I basically invest too much in overpriced clothes and bags so that I feel, you know, glamorous. Like these are the things if I have to reflect, those are at the time I thought our investment, like, oh, this is investment in my personal brand, you know, like, oh, I look more professional or like, oh, investment in, you know, establishing this social network, you know, in Lan Kui Fong, you know, like those are the things that I think I might have, you know, spent too much time and resources in and the return isn't as um, high. Um, and then the best investment is in myself. So like things like um, exercising, eating vegetarian food, like these are the investment that um, I think has the highest ROI. Investing in my kids, spending time with my kids, the, the return maybe it's not quantified by a number, but it's the basis of everything. How how happy I feel every day, how content I am, how I can have the energy to do stuff I want to do and difficult stuff, right? Scary stuff. 
Yeah, I think this is an answer that you might not be expected, but like, not at all. But I think that's it's my a, true it's answer. answer. No, it's a true answer. That's what we want to hear. No, Diane, that's awesome. And uh, last but not least, I did say at the beginning I do want to get back to this um, because you said you you love having existential conversations with your children, right? Uh, when you said that, uh, I can uh, imagine some of them, but. Are any of them related to personal finance or how are you teaching your children about money at all? Have you already started that? Because um, every, you know, I've been asking a lot of the guests uh, that, that question because it comes up a lot, right? When you talk to parents is they ask like, so at what point should I start talking to them about money? Or if you have a lot of money as well, right? When do you tell them, but they're still being motivated to go to school and to go work, right? It's, 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 with your life coaching expertise probably too this will come up quite a bit so how do you how do you do it personally yeah so i think there are two parts to your question um the first part is about existential questions about the kids so i do it's actually tied back to to the same thing like um really um be intentional about to help them um, learn about how to question everything they hear or see, right? Like it could be, I'm reading a, a, a story, which most stories in the, you know, your five minute bedtime story book ends with, they lived happily ever after. So they lived happily ever after. And then I just be the nagging repetitive mom Whenever I read that out, I would also tell them that's not true. That is like bullshit. You know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, life, yeah, yeah. life yeah. is always 50-50, no matter what you do and where you are. You could be very successful according to your own standard, or you could be very like in a miserable place. But it's wherever you are is 50-50. You can always find your happiness. You can always find the discomfort that comes with life because it's just life, you know? So that's one thing I do. And then there are also other things I do is, um, so like, like what, basically what you see in school, read in books, like watch on TV, the media, what they tell you, right? So my son is having a, the K3 graduation coming up soon. And they have this really nice graduation song that they will perform. And it, it all starts with the lyrics goes like this. Because of you, I can be the best self I want to be. Because of you, I promise something, something. I can, like, because of you, I can climb the mountains and cross the white sea, right? Nice song, right? But I also, like, quick to call out, you know, that is all bullshit. You should change all the lyrics to because of me. Like at the end of the day, it's your choice. Like people, human beings have free will, right? Whether you do or not, like I can say, oh, you should climb the mountain. You should climb the white sea. That's like the best thing to do. But it's your, in your discretion to decide whether you do it or not. So like these nuances that I see now, I would always call them out and tell my children. Whether they like, they might get like twenty percent of it, or they might just remember it as a you know some saying from my mom. But I think like over time that would help the kid build up this mentality to always ask why and why not, and that's 
And that's a good thing that to ask, right? Because people are also scared to ask these questions a lot, right? So if they, you know, if you yeah, well, if you want to create like new things in the world, like a uh, the next Tesla car or whatever the Ali the uh, the next Alibaba pl marketplace platform that no one has seen before, then you really shouldn't be bogged down by these conditioning that yeah. you see so like everywhere in the world, actually, yeah. No, um, and awesome. then, and then your next question is about um, teaching kids about money. So my kids are still pretty young. Um, I do talk to them about money, like, oh, this is is an exchange, like a transaction is a fair exchange, um, and there's no like judgment whether something is bad or not. You know, just trial and error. So actually, um, so I haven't actually been consistently doing a lot on the money side or investing side with them yet but um but it could be something like um um so so my kids um uh my son you, you know how boys are they are very focused and obsessed with one toy at a time so it was like thomas the tank engine and then it's this japanese shinkai have you heard of it? No. No. Okay. No. It's basically this rail, Japanese rail, the MTR in Japan. Yeah. And then they make a cartoon out of it where they would transform into robots. Okay. So 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 that and then now he's he's playing Beyblades. Right? So now so at the now he realizes when he's focused on the now, what he is interested in he would like forget all the stuff. Like he doesn't even care, the Shinkaiyo, he even doesn't care about the Thomas. So one day he has an idea. He's like, mommy, why can I like sell all my old toys, get the money to get more Beyblade, right? So instead that's very of- good. That, right, That's a good start, right? Right there. Yeah, so I'm like, well, that's wonderful. And I should support him. So like, instead of saying, oh, you shouldn't, you know, think about this, like making money off other people, as a bad thing, I actually like then encourage him to find out more. And then I talk to the school, ask the teacher, like, can we do something, you know, secondhand selling? And he let him do his thing and in a safe, controlled way. All right. So I think, I guess it all comes down to like not having judgment, being very aware, not having a judgment on the, what money is. I think that's the best thing a parent can do to the kid because yeah. really money is just money. It's just number <laughs> and yeah. the exchange is always fair, you know, in, in a free, like there, you don't need to put in all that like emotion drama, you know, if, if I make a lot of money, then some people will suffer and like, it's not a zero sum game. Yeah. At the end of the day, the like, you, if you create value, you create money Correct. and historical evidence is that, value can you know grow and grow and grow and grow and grow continuously yeah no that's a great advice i think i'm really happy that you shared that with us so thank you diane for that um while we wrap it up diane um i wanted to ask um what's the best way for people to reach out to you if they're interested in uh, in coaching uh, or um if they're interested to get in touch with you about that what would be the best way for them to do that Check out my website. I just put it up, um, dianeyoung.com. 
Diane, thank you so much for spending this time with us. And uh, we're really happy to have you on. Thanks for having me. I really enjoy the conversation. And I hope this like mindset stuff can help more people in Hong Kong. That's it for the show this week. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe and leave us a review. The reviews really help us. And we love reading your comments as well. In Your Best Interest is hosted by me, Philip Müller. We're produced by Stashaway and we're mixed by Mo Ramley. Oh, 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 o